0: How many of you remember the name Flip Wilson? Yeah. Why do we remember him? Well, probably because of a certain show he was on where he was always saying, the devil made me do it, right? That was his famous line. How he got branded with that, I don't know. But that's... that's he, well, one way in which our enemy seeks to wreck our lives. In fact, the Bible talks about the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. One of the quickest ways the enemy comes against us to get us off track is to break up or mar or influence our relationship with God somehow through us actually doing things that are wrong. And that's through the method of temptation. We see that all the way back in Genesis, right? God creates a beautiful world. He creates the earth. He creates the Garden of Eden, puts Adam and Eve in it, and says, be fruitful and multiply. This is is a place I've given to you to enjoy everything here. But there's just one thing. One commandment, okay? Not 10, not 653 under the Old Covenant, not uh, the thousands that were added on to that by the traditions of men. One commandment. You can do all these things and enjoy life. Just don't touch, don't take from the uh, knowledge of the good and evil or in that day you'll die. God gives them one commandment. So they're going happily along and we don't have exactly chronology of how long it took before the serpent picturing the devil shows up there but he begins to encourage them to do the one thing god said not to do that's that's temptation that's exactly what the enemy seeks to do to us is to get us to think about things god has forbidden or tells us not to do as desirable the problem is there are some things that are pleasurable about sin there are or people wouldn't do it okay there are some things that are enjoyable About sin, But the Bible talks about the fleeting pleasures of sin and that they have a momentary benefit, but their long-term outcome is death and destruction. So the enemy came to Adam and Eve all the way back in the Garden of Eden and said, well, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, wouldn't you like to be like God, knowing good from evil? Wouldn't you like to be enlightened? Wouldn't you like to grow in this new way? Since you eat this fruit that God said not to eat, you will become like God. So we appeal to a basic human pride. And unfortunately, Adam and Eve took the bait, didn't they? Both. Who took it first? Right. And so the problem is, when God confronted Adam and Eve, who both sinned, (laughs) who both did it, um, he confronts Adam and his excuse was, well, this woman you gave me made me do it, right? Right. He he tried to cop a plea like it wasn't his fault. Wrong, wrong. And then, of course, Eve blames the serpent. Wrong, wrong. Humans have a free will. They exercise that free will and did something that was not right in God's sight. That's the beginning of the Bible. There's a reason it's there. That struggle between good and evil, the struggle between God's will and and are choosing to do that, and the enemy who seeks to take it away is throughout the scriptures and all the way into the book of Revelation. So, that is a backdrop. I want to just talk a little bit, in, in, uh, as a large group here, is how do you picture, and how did you grow up picturing Satan? You heard teaching about it for certain if you're in Bible classes or in Sunday school classes. Did you picture him with the red horns and a pointy long tail with a point? How do you picture Satan? How do you picture him now? Anybody? Very Very what kind of dress? Natalie Natalie dressed? Dressed. Dressed Dressed well. Okay. Slick? Okay. How else? How do you picture him? Uh, The devil can come in all kinds of forms, whether it's a person or, or anything. So he's all very tricky and not necessarily one type of being. Okay, so you see him being able to express himself in different ways. What I wanted, anybody else with an idea thought that how you see him? He just, he, he, he. Okay, so what Grace has said is very accurate from the scripture. He, he disguises himself as an angel of light. He wants to be appeared as someone coming to help us, coming to enlighten us, coming to benefit us selfishly. And so he tries to mimic the Son of God to deceive even those who know better. He's crafty, he's clever. And he's not the only one. The scriptures reveal a third of God's angels have sided or did side with the devil in his rebellion against God. It's pretty interesting to me. How dumb can you be? I mean, think about this. You're in God's presence. You're serving him, and it appears that Satan had a particular rulership as one of the archangels in the um, in the economy of God, along with Michael and Gabriel. He had a very big role, and we're not going to spend too much time talking about him. Talk, we're going to talk about how to stand up against it. He had a high and lofty position in God's economy, but that wasn't good enough for him. And unlike humanity, those beings who had a direct knowledge of God, who were In his presence, it was one strike and you're out for them. If that was our case, we're all done, right? Not two, three strikes, one strike. He rebelled against God and he desired to be God and take God's role and take over. So he has been judged and he has been cast down. The fact is he took a third of the other angels with him, equally beautiful, powerful angels who had a position in God's economy and they have set themselves up. So who's the real battle between here. The battle is between God and Satan. And then God decided, after having made those beings, it appears in the Scripture, to create us in His image. Even though we were made, the Scripture says, a little lower than the angels, a little lower, not a lot lower, a little lower than the angels, God decided in His planning and his, his order of things is to create us a little lower than the angels with the ultimate destiny of us one day ruling those angels in eternity. Do you know that we, in God's plan, will someday even rule the angels? We will be at a strata higher than them. I'm convinced, this is Rick Lyman, I'm not, this is my opinion looking at all the angles I've looked at this, that that was part of what caused Satan to rebel against God. Wait a minute, I'm your number two guy here. You can't create another race of beings and put them over us. And I don't think he liked it. And he rebelled, and his destiny is in the lake of fire. He got one strike, and he was out. No salvation, no savior, because it was not an innocent sin, innocent in the sense of he had no power not to. He had the ability to walk in holiness with God. So having given you that backdrop, I want us to open our eyes just a little bit to what Ephesians 6 tells us um, this morning. Here's God's instruction to us, through the Apostle Paul, of a mindset as we go through life. A mindset about how we live, about how we pursue things. And it's different than probably a lot of us have come to believe is a right Christian mindset. Ephesians 6 says, finally, after all the other teaching he's given throughout this wonderful book of Ephesians, and if you want a, a quicker read of the book of Romans which is uh, we're teaching right now through in the Pathfinders class at 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings right below us here. It's a great study. Different teachers are leading us through that. But Ephesians is a, a little shorter digest of virtually a lot of the same themes, theologically and then practically. But Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, finally, I want you to be a bunch of wimps out there and just kind uh, of you know, muddle through life. Is that what he says? No, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I just want to pause for a second. Do you feel strong today? Do you let yourself be strong? Or are you under the notion that God wants you to feel weak? That's deception. Anything that conflicts with the direct teaching of the word of God is deception. There is a deception over the church that God wants us and defines humility as weakness. And they're not the same thing. Humility is a right understanding of where we sit in relationship to God and a right understanding of where we sit in relationship to other beings formed in God's image whom he loves equally with us. That's what humility is. It's bowing the knee to God and say, you're Lord and King and Master and Savior, and I will walk in in your ways and I will obey you and I'll live for you. And that's what humility is, humbling ourselves. It is not self-deprecation. It is not continually putting yourself down. It's not continually saying, I'm worthless, I'll never accomplish anything, I'll never be any good at anything. That is not humility. That's self-hatred. And that's where the enemy tries to trick us. So Ephesians tells us, Paul tells us, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Wow. Where does that power reside? Is it some reservoir someplace in heaven that God once in a while turns on the faucet? Do you think that? There's once in a while an angel show up to give us strength, and angels are all around us, by the way. It's a wonderful thing. Just at a bare minimum, we've got them outnumbered two to one. There's twice as many angels on our side that are on the enemy's side, so we've got them outnumbered. That's no problem. But where does this power? How can we be strong in the power of God? It's residing in us. The Holy Spirit is that power, and the Scripture says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Do you see yourself? Do you accept this truth that you are an empowered person with the very power of God? I want to let this kind of sink in. It's important if we're going to come up against the spiritual, the spiritual battles that we're facing is that we see ourselves rightly. It's not our power. We have natural abilities. God also gave us those. But then God has gone way beyond that and birthed us of his Holy Spirit. And his Spirit, God himself, has said, I'm going to make you my temple. And that's why John, the apostle, tells us, greater is he who's in you, living inside of you, in your being, empowering you, than he that's in this world, speaking of the devil. You are a power-filled person as you sit in this room right now. I want you to kind of let that sink in. This is not the kind of teaching that often we have heard, I think. We've been taught to think of ourselves, well, you're just a miserable, lousy sinner saved by grace. And I'll rephrase that. You were a miserable, lousy sinner, and you are saved by grace, but you are being transformed by the work of a mighty God who dwells within you to protect you, to defend you, to shape you, to mold you, and to allow you to live out a different kind of life in this crooked, broken world. You are a power-filled person today because Christ lives within you. He is your hope of glory. So let's let that sink in. God says this. It's not Rick Lyman saying this or making this up. This is what he says. But then the wisdom of God shows us in this passage in Ephesians how to take a stand against the wiles of the enemy. Every day. And if we could put a recorder, and someday they'll make one, a little memory chip you stick in the side of your ear someplace and records all your thoughts for a 24-hour period, you'd be amazed Ever, ever try to log all the things you think about during a day, and especially with the bombarding different ideas and things that come back, and phone calls and texts and emails and TV and movies and whatever other media comes your way in a given day? Your brain is going all over the place. And that's what I think brain, the dreams are meant to be at night, just kind of that offloading all that stuff. And it's all this wacky stuff combined together. You don't know what's going on your, your your subconscious brain there. But the fact is, you're thinking a lot of thoughts every day. And the scripture will in the later in this passage says to take up the shield of faith and block all the fiery darts of the devil. There's negative stuff coming your way, carefully woven, carefully sewn, carefully put in into the normal things of life that we are accepting into our brains, accepting into our belief structure, accepting into our worldview, accepting into how we see ourselves subtly sewn in. And when we eat that or we ingest that mentally and spiritually, it has a negative effect on us. The Lord would want us to be in a position to recognize what's going on and put up a shield of faith that says, I don't have to let myself think that way any longer. Bottom line here is what Ephesians 6 will teach us, and we'll get get more of the specifics in a second, is to stand up for who you are in Christ. Stand up and you don't need to physically stand up, often when I teach this, I have people physically stand up, I don't want to do that right now, but is in your mind and your heart, you are called to stand before God and stand against the enemy of your soul. He just wants to make you miserable. He can't get you out of the hand of God, and he knows it. Your life is hid with Christ in God. Your name is written in God's book in heaven. You have been saved by grace, and this is not of yourselves. He cannot undo what Jesus did on the cross. He knows it. But he seeks out of his viciousness and the evil nature that he has is to make your life as miserable as you will let him make you. It's time we draw a line in the sand and say, Stop. No more. No moss. It's time we stand and take our stand. Paul will use that same Greek word four different times. Stand is to forcibly take a posture that says, I'm not going to take this anymore. I'm not going to think this way anymore. I'm not going to allow my being to be abused by all this negativity anymore. And I'm going to stand up for Christ. Paul says it this way. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against... And then he breaks through, gives us a, a viewpoint of what's going on in the spiritual realm. Four levels of spiritual darkness that surrounds us. We see it personified. You might think it's the opposite political party that you're not for, whatever which side of that equation you're on. You might think that's the devil personified. You might think it's the atheists. You might think it's one of the other... Uh, cultic religions or the false religions that are not following Christ in this world, you might see it. And those are all different. There's a variety of different manifestations, how deceiving spirits have created contrary, subtly different religions to deceive people from knowing Christ. But our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil. Where in the heavenly realms, not heaven, I want to make a really clear distinction here. They are not in heaven. They don't have a place there. Heavenly, in the heavenly realms, the scriptures talk about the different heavens. There is the heavens around the earth, the atmosphere and the Old Testament understanding of it. That was the first heaven. The second heaven was the outer, the universe beyond that. And the third heaven is the heaven, the heaven not made of this world. The spiritual forces of darkness op- occupy the first heaven, if you will, the heavenly realms around us. But there's a battle going on, our struggle. So just I want to pause for just a second. Has life ever been a struggle for you? Yeah. And you keep getting hit, from you don't know where it's coming from. You, it, you get through with one thing, it seems like it's just a barrage, one thing after the other, after the other. I shared this a couple of weeks ago in another setting. I am convinced God has allowed the powers of darkness to be down here on this earth influ- attempting to influence things for our benefit, ultimately. For God to have allowed them to leave heaven, cast them out of there with the other third of the angels and send them to the earth, there had to be a purpose. I believe they're our sparring partners on the way to heaven. We are the champions. We're the ones called to go to the prize fight. We're the ones called to live into a destiny in God. Where are their names written in eternity? Gone. They have no future in God. They have no future in God's eternal plans. They serve a purpose temporarily, temporarily here. They are sparring partners for us to learn how to stand up against evil, to learn how to stand for Christ, to develop our character. So while they are not our friends... <laughs> They're clearly enemies of Christ, enemies of God and his purposes, and enemies of us because out of sheer resentment. The scriptures tell us to overcome evil with good. Our struggle's not against the people you're sitting around the table with, or the people across the street from you, or the the ways in which people who are sin, still not perfected people, wrestle with sin. Our real struggles with powers of darkness behind all of that. And yes, there's no question in my mind that, Certain larger and influential bodies like, and I won't just pick on Hollywood. I'm not just going to pick on, I'm going to pick on Hollywood, but not just Hollywood. Uh, Our education system. There's other places where they believe, I'm convinced the evil plans are, let's try to influence the most people possible to, to not believe in God. Let's try to, Cloud the issue of salvation. Cloud the issue of who Jesus is. Cloud the issue using quasi-spiritual-sounding ideas. Like, we should all just love each other. We should accept it. All all religions lead to God. All things lead to heaven. All those kind of nice-sounding, completely wrong ideas, non-biblical ideas. And that's pervaded our society, hasn't it? I mean, I grew up just in in this culture, in this place where... Biblical values, biblical truth was at least recognized and to some degree respected by the culture. That's gone. We're seen as narrow. We've been cast in the media, and by the. I'm convinced this is that spiritual struggle. We're cast as if we stand up for anything that the Bible says is true, we are narrow, we are judgmental, and we shouldn't be saying that. And so unfortunately, way too often, we stop saying it. We stop standing up for, in, against injustices. We stop standing up for the things because the society is rejecting it, but they've been taught to reject it by very clever forces of darkness. That's just one example I, I would use. There's plenty of other ones, and you can see it. What are we seeing? I don't watch that much TV um, because it's become so whatever. Uh, I watch certain things, sports especially. I'm glad sports are still on. Um, but if you look at what was on in the 1950s and 60s on even television, think back to some of the shows and the values that were being espoused and the things you saw, and if you watch virtually any sitcom or any show today and most of the movies, you think there's been a change? Just a little, huh? What are some of the obvious ones? And let's be real. What, what are some obvious things you see from Ozzie and Harriet to, I don't even know who the key people are now. What, what, are, what are some of the big obvious differences? Language. Okay, language difference. Okay, what they'll show on TV visibly uh, in terms of clothing or lack thereof. Okay. The modern, is miles away from area. the modern family is dissolved into this mess. Yes. What else? What about promiscuity, adultery, fornication being demonstrated, just shown routinely that there's people who are just having a wonderful life, having a different sex partner every, every night of the week? Just kind of normal, and they laugh about it. That's What's being shown to our culture? Go ahead. I just want to say that even when put it right uh, by your mouth, the Dick Van Dyke Show uh, (laughs) when Mary Tyler Moore, they weren't even allowed to sleep in the same bed. when They were making that show. They had twin beds. So classic example. They weren't even not even allowed to be seen in the same bed. And now we see this. Things have changed. Go ahead. Ready, Joe. The children on the shows, they go and they talk about their parents and make fun of them and criticize them. And it's supposed to get big laughs. Right. So the, many of the commandments that God has given to us to guide us and to guide our culture have been thrown out the window. And so children are rebellious against parents. There's, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's happening while we're alive, friends. That's happened on our watch. Do you realize that? Somebody with the desire and the influence and then they develop the resources, have perpetrated this on our culture, on our once Christian value-based nation. It's happened during my lifetime. I've watched it happen. And we sit back, and are we taking a stand? Or have we conceded? Oh, well, you know, nothing we can do about it. Spiritual forces are running rampant behind the scenes. And you can try to pick out who is it which, which person's doing this? Which organization? Which network? Which production company? And you can start to look at it and you can lament that who's in charge of them? Oh, well, they've all gone off the left. But what are we doing? What are we doing? Now, I'm took us to the macro level. I'm going to bring it back down to our, our personal level. If we're not winning the personal spiritual battle and taking our stand every day for who we are in Christ, there's no chance in the world we corporately as a church of Jesus Christ are going to be able to be united and stand together as one force to say no to certain things and establish that there is a moral imperative from the Scripture that we're called to stand for, to stand up for people who are being abused or being uh, tormented or being in any way injustice perpetrated against them. So this is where it begins. Is One second, Dave. It begins with us standing up. And that's why the armor of God that Paul will talk about here in just a moment in Ephesians 6 is so important. He says... Put on, you personally, regularly, put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to take your stand. One sec, Dave. I have watched countless noble, purposeful efforts being made by Christ followers like you and I end up being destroyed because of financial foolishness, moral failure. You get an organization going that's doing great things and it takes one guy or one woman to fall into sexual sin and the whole thing is mocked and destroyed. You and I have watched that happen in these last decades. The enemy works hard to take leaders down because he can take off the disconnect the locomotive where that God, god's purposes are going by getting one person. Think about that. We all have to be strong and stand. So Dave, go ahead and then we'll move on. Just a few days ago put it right by uh, your mouth okay so we can hear I'm sorry. Put it, celebrated celebrated it right there. Yeah. the um sixtieth uh death by abortion in the United States of America That applies to what I'm going to say next. I uh, spoke a few years ago to a staff member here and uh, half and just half in uh, sobriety and said, why don't we go picket the uh, Planned Parenthood facilities, get ourselves arrested, and do prison ministry? (laughs) Okay, there you go, Dave. Um, That opportunity is probably still available. But here's where I'm going. Ephesians 6 talks about us being personally armed. This isn't a corporate thing. This is personal. The the words and the tense and the way that Paul's speaking this is, take your personal stand. And this takes some time and effort and energy to understand. Paul says, put on the full armor, not just part of it, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and having done everything, still active and influential, that you're left standing when the day is over. I feel corporately the church in America is, is like the sparring partner has been beaten down and keep trying to get back up, and, they, and the enemy, the other person in the, equa- in the in the ring, keeps pushing us back down and defeating us, and we make little headway. It's sad, and it is disheartening. There have been some tremendous works begun, and as I've said, and I'm, I'm going to go across this bridge, in many places, churches that are thriving, that have been just destroyed from within because people weren't doing what Paul says. Not being vigilant. Our enemy is smart, if nothing else. And I I make very careful when I said before, how dumb can you be? They're not dumb. I don't mean any disrespect to the enemy. You're not supposed to speak of him that way. He's very clever and very smart. He would like to take this organization down because of what we do for Christ. He'd like to take all the other churches in this area. And how many of them have dwindled away to virtually nothing? Because the enemy's had his way. It's important for us, friends, and I'll say it this way the game is still on. The game's not over. You ever watch a game? How many of you watched the Super Bowl, first of all? There was this football game last Sunday, uh, a little football game. And it was funny because my son was, had a little party at his apartment, or gathering, or whatever, and I just texted him after Vespers, and I said, you know, how's the game going? And he goes, well, when it was 28 to 6, we turned it off. Okay? <laughs> I mean, it's like it was over, right? Well, it wasn't over. Not until the last second of the game was the outcome secured. We have a chance. We have an opportunity. We have a calling to take back some of this ground. Your generation, our generations represented in this room have done a lot to advance the kingdom of God in this world. But our work isn't over. We need to stand up. Stand strong and let God. Remember I talked about breathing vision into us and restoring our passions. There's a whole bunch God wants to do and we have the privilege and the opportunity to do it. Are we going to leave it to the two generations down from us to figure it out and sort it out? Boy, we need to be praying for our grandchildren. Okay, I have one now, so I'm in that club. I'm praying for my children plenty, but we need to be praying for them. What, what tasks, what, what, what world are we leaving behind? In this country, in this Christian value-based country, once was value-based on that, what's, what are we leaving them? Well, we had great churches. We had great things back in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, and now we don't know what happened. No, we, we have an opportunity, friends, to do this. So when we've done everything, when the day comes for us to stand, be- and I'm preaching today a little bit. I'm getting a little off my text here. But when we stand before the Lord, we want to be able to say, I've done everything. I did everything I could while I had chance to do, it, while I had life and breath, and he can say to us, "Well done, good and faithful servants." That's that's what we want to live for, friends. They haven't done it, but to do that, we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. Bob, can we get the mic over here? One of you guys, Steve, possibly or Dick. I try. Part of the, uh, uh, everything I try is resorting to poetry. And I remember particularly uh, Invictus, where it says, uh, Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how marked with punishment the scroll." I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Captain of your soul. Thank you so much, Bob. So Paul begins here in Ephesians 6 to show us how to get dressed and ready for every day of our lives. And he says that we need to put first, stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And as I said a moment ago, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. This is preparation. I suspect in the wintertime you dress a little bit differently when you go out of the house than you do in the summer. I do. (laughs) Okay. I wear these Doc Martens when it's icy and snowy. I... um, Oftentimes, when I'm going to be outside a lot, I wear a a base layer of some nice thermal stuff under my, my suit. If I'm going to do an outdoor funeral or something like that, or just be outside, I'm prepared for it. But I also bundle up, put a gloves on, a scarf on, and at times a hat on, and get ready to brave the elements. The spiritual temperature around us is cold and getting colder, and we need to be wise and understand and be prepared ourselves on a daily basis. You see, this isn't just about us. This is about whom God has called us to be. But when we see we have a destiny in, in God, when we realize a purpose for all this preparation God has for us, we realize he's molding us for a noble purpose. And that's to be world changers in this world now. Because God has not given up on you, the church of Jesus Christ in this country or the world, or this nation, or any nation for that, fa- that matter. So we need to prepare, and I gave you, and we're going to get to this in a minute, some of the details here, a pretty lengthy uh, copy of what my presentation is going to be, each of the slides with scriptures related to it. Let's start Look at a couple of those here. And If anything captures what I think our culture, how our culture has digressed in response to the enemy's plans is we have become a me first culture, haven't we? It's all about what's good for me. What can I get out of it? And I remember many years ago, this is old news now, being at the Jewel over here in Downers and seeing on the stand, the newsstand, this is probably 20 years ago, Self Magazine. Like, really get into you. Get into yourself. Well, that we know is in our culture. But that same mindset has crept into the church, hasn't it? What's best for us? What's best for me? Give me, 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 me. It's the power of darkness trying to work. God's plan... Oh oh, I'm, I'm not just picking on us guys, okay. It's, uh, Europe's been spiritually dead for, for centuries, okay, and it, it's, it is. It's the New dark continent. We know that. Africa's way more spiritually active now than Europe is, and far beyond, thank God that we have some spiritual vibrancy. But the enemy's first step is to get us on me first selfish orientation instead of Matthew 6:33 where Jesus said, "Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness." and all these things will be added unto you. God will take care of you if you put him first. And I just want to pause for a second. If you think and think about your family now. You know, your 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 legacy, the people that are your your children, grandchildren, maybe great-grandchildren in a room like this. Where is God in that economy? How close to the top of the stack is God? Despite your prayers. Despite you training up and raising up your children. Despite you continuing to pray and continue to encourage where is the god meter in terms of your say your grandchildren going a couple levels down i hear countless times from families here in this church and in many years of ministry that that there's such a sadness because they've gone so far away how'd that happen how did that happen there's a spiritual war going on go ahead They're oh sorry, <laughs> they're not um, in the church. They're not going to church. We all went to church when we were young. Mm-hmm. They're all out playing soccer. They go to the sportsplex to play ice hockey. They're doing everything else mm-hmm. except coming Sundays to are by no means sacred. Okay, and um, for years I served on the board here at the Oakbrook Little League for, I don't know, eight or nine years and did a lot of things with that. And at least for, I had <laughs> some influence. We didn't play Little League Baseball on Sundays in those days. We all kept that. I wasn't the only one. There were others that wanted to do that. That's long since. And now school events. School events are planned on Sundays now. And soccer and everything else. That's an example of why God is no longer first, because it's just been washed over by other values and things that are more important. So it was Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the tactics, exactly. The enemy works in lies. Big picture. He lies. He is the father of lies, the scripture says. He's the originator of lies. The first lie we know he told and perpetrated on the human race was back in the Garden of Eden. When he said, you won't die. When Adam and Eve Eve particularly was, well, God said, don't touch, eat that or even touch it or we'll die. You won't die. It's a bald-faced lie. Well, it was a half-truth because they weren't going to die physically at that moment, but death was going to enter the human race, and all humanity following ultimately dies because of that sin, and that's, we're part of that. God's plan is for us to speak the truth. Now, how hard is it sometimes for you to speak the truth? Ever find that difficult? Why is that so hard? Why well, don't just tell everybody the truth? Any thoughts, ideas on that? Well, we don't want to hurt someone's feelings. We don't want to be judged. We don't want to be branded in a certain way. We don't want to be seen as narrow. But let's talk about just communicating truth. And the scripture admonition to us is to speak the truth, comma, in love. That's the hard part, isn't it? Is you're angry about something? You're frustrated? You just want to blurt something out? Oh, speak the truth, except we're supposed to do it in love. Why in love? Because then someone understands you care. They might actually listen to you. If you do it in love, if you just blurt out unfiltered truth, um, nobody's going to listen. They're going to just put up their defenses and be arguing back and combative. Speaking the truth and telling the truth, is it's sad. I mean, you talk about the underpinnings of our culture. There were once respected professions, even in our culture, in this world, okay? There was probably a time even the president of this country was respected, not because of his power and his position, just because of the reality of what that meant, that office meant. You turn on Jay Leno, uh, David Letterman, or any of the other late-night talk shows, who's the one at seven now, Jimmy Kimmel or whatever it is, they mock. I mean, it's a mockery of our political leadership. And you may think some of them deserve it. You might think that, but it's a mockery. Why? There's no credibility. We've gotten so used to laughing about the fact that politicians lie, they don't keep promises, right? And I'm not just picking on politicians. I can go to preachers, I can go to that was once a respected profession, and still is a modicum of, of respect. Lawyers used to be respected, believe it or not. Why do you laugh? <laughs> I meant that as humor. They used to be. It was a respected profession. It isn't anymore. Why? Because it seems like, and the O.J. Simpson trial is an example of that, if just a few years back, where somebody that appeared to be just caught red-handed doing something with all kinds of evidence, and because of clever legal defense, he got away with it. Okay, I don't know which side of that, you if you watched all those trial hours and it was just mind-numbing after a while, the fact is lies, deception have woven into the fabric of who can you trust anymore? Well, the answer to that, friends, is you and I. People need to be look, look to Christians to be truthful, to be honest, to keep their word, to live with integrity. This is what's putting on that breastplate of righteousness, part of it is about, is people have to turn to somebody in a world where there's no handles to grab onto anymore, a world that's sinking in quicksand around us. There's desperate people. If we think things were tumultuous in the 50s and 60s, yes, there was a Vietnam War, yes, there was... Our dear president, Nixon, who was on the verge of another landslide victory and then made a foolish choice. Other events that took place, but people still had handles. They could still recognize the truth if they heard it or saw it. In our world now, there's no place to recognize it. We're it. We're the light of the world. And we remain to have that opportunity. I hope I'm not sounding negative. I'm trying to be realistic. And if we're going to take our stand now, we need to be ready to do this. So lies have permeated our culture. And in many cases, people think, and these surveys have proven this, is it okay to lie? And in many cases, well, yeah, sure, if you've got a good reason to. Well, that just kind of gives you a, just a sliding scale there, doesn't it? If you've got a good reason to lie, then it's okay to lie. And then what, rat, what quantifies a good reason? Well, whatever you feel like. What seems best for you in the situation? what all of this undermining of our culture and this is just one of the slides and i've got plenty more that i'm going to leave with you and we'll get back to next week it's created an atmosphere of fear when you're afraid do you act normally no your senses are heightened you're aware of one thing that you're oftentimes obsessed and i'll share a, a funny story about me i don't like bees a whole lot i don't like wasps and it probably stems from when I was a, about eight year old, nine year old, playing catch with one of my friends, and the ball went up on the roof of his house. Michael Wells, my friend Michael, and so we somehow managed to climb up. The he climbed up or got a ladder and got up into the gutter where the ball was, and out of the the gutter came a wasp that stung him right between the eyes, and he was screaming his head off. And I'm like, I became afraid of them. So I remember some some years back. Um, there was a wasp or a hornet in the basement of our house over here. And it was, you know, buzzing around. I thought, well, I really don't want to get stung by this thing. So I took great measures. Now, you're going to laugh. You can, you can laugh out loud. I put on my cowboy boots, so they're leather up to here. I put on several pairs of pants and sweatpants. I put on a leather jacket and then an overcoat down over. This is in the summer, okay? And it gets better. And then I have a, uh, a helmet from, like, a motorcycle helmet. I put that on. Put on thick gloves that the thing couldn't sting through and went down there with a spray can of this, you know, the spray stuff. And the poor thing had no chance, of course. (laughs) He wasn't going to hurt me. You may laugh, but he wasn't going to hurt me. (laughs) Tell you that. Uh, Fear will make us do weird things sometimes. The enemy of our souls wants you and I walking around in fear instead of a God confidence that says, I'm on this earth to make a difference and nothing's going to stop me. Fear is a powerful, it debilitates us, it encumbers us. 1 John tells us in chapter 4, he says, God's perfect love casts out the biggest fear, the fear of God. There is no fear in love, but his perfect love casts out that kind of fear. Because that kind of fear of God has to do with punishment, that he's going to punish us. We can live confidently in our relationship with God and not live in fear of the enemy. But fear is powerful. It's a powerful force, and it's a healthy thing to do, maybe with some counsel or someone to work through, is to identify your fears. I'm not so afraid of bees anymore. I finally got stung a couple times, and it, it wasn't so bad. And you know what I actually learned? I took some aspirin, made a little water, and put it on the sting, and it kind of worked fine. Take the inflammation down. And um, I'm not looking to get stung. Okay, I still avoid them, but I'm not so afraid of it anymore. And the other part of that was one of our neighbors, sad to say, her mother was stung and died. okay. And my father, I'll tell you the backdrop of the story. My father has a home in Carefree, Arizona, one of his neighbors, out by his pool. Carefree, Arizona, I'm not sure what season it was, was attacked by a swarm of killer bees. Hundreds of them just swarmed him and killed him. So I had practical reasons for fear. Some of us have practical reasons for the fears that we have, but a lot of our fears are irrational. A lot of the fears we have, fear of failure, fear of being rejected is because we have failed, because we have been rejected. We've tried to do something good. We've tried to start a new movement. We've tried to do something positive to influence things and we've been kicked back. We've been pushed down and we're afraid of that. We cannot let fear be the fuel of our lives anymore. We need to take up that shield of faith, which is the other end of the spectrum. It says, God is with me. With God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're afraid of trying to make waves, aren't we? We're afraid of even saying boldly and strongly what we believe about something because we're afraid of the rejection that's going to come from it. There's stuff burning in your souls that you'd love to be doing, but you're afraid. It's a good thing to take an inventory, not to be morbid about it, but to recognize it and then allow that love of Christ that's inside of you to be stronger than your fears. Maybe you've been afraid of going on a mission trip someplace, afraid of being in a place where they don't have good medical care or medicines, and and for some that's an appropriate consideration. Um, I'm not real fond, like I said, of small bees. I spent some time in Haiti years back, and there were bugs. I'm not exaggerating the size of a box of Altoids flying around in the room I was in. Uh, You know, I wasn't real happy about that, okay? I slept under my covers, okay? I mean, with a net over me. I mean, I didn't want these things crawling in bed with me. Now I just created more fear for some of you to go into Haiti. No, I didn't mean to do that. (laughs) The the fact is, love has got to be the power, the force, the energy that we follow. Because when you love enough, you're no longer afraid of what's going to happen to you. It was love that fueled Jesus as he carried the cross up Calvary's Hill. He was thinking about you and me. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That was love. He was not afraid of suffering. He was not afraid of what lay ahead of him. It was love that fueled him. And that power of that love is inside of you by that spirit we talked about at the beginning. There is a loving God pulsating inside your being, wanting to move you in a powerful way forward to do the things he put you on this earth to do we cannot let fear rule us last slide for on this page here is discouragement is a powerful debilitator because it says i've tried before and it didn't work uh, and therefore the equation we do is well therefore i'm not very good i'll never be good at this or i'll never be able to do that discouragement means taking out the courage out of you when you think of courageous people in our world today? who? Are, and maybe not just our current events. Who are some courageous people you can think of? Go ahead. Okay. Go, I, want, I want to get that on the mic. That's good. Go one second. Go ahead. Yeah. The little Pakistani girl that got shot in the head because she spoke up for education for girls in Pakistan. Okay. So she was very courageous. Who else, think, when you think of courageous? The firemen at 9-11. Exactly. The firemen, and particularly those that kept going back up into the building when everyone else was going the opposite direction. What else pictures courage for us? Hmm? Martin, Martin Luther, Luther King. King, absolutely. Just re- recalled and celebrated the remembrance of him just a few weeks back here. Abraham Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln was tremendously courageous. He didn't allow fear. He didn't allow discouragement. By the way, I, I got a comment. on You know the Abraham Lincoln whole story, right? It's a good read. You've seen the movie now. Of course, you've seen the movie. Yeah, you all know the whole story now. He didn't just become president the first time he ran for president, by the way. You go back through his story, how many failures and discouragements and, and bankruptcy and the things that he faced, and yet he didn't let discouragement take the courage out of his heart, and he pressed on and transformed for all time, we pray to never go back to those, a horrible injustice that was taking place in this Christian-based nation. And it cost him his life, right? But he gave his life way before it cost him his life. So courage. Think about courage. Bobby, we'll do one more. Go ahead. uh, uh, Right. Just recently, when the little boy was being um, kidnapped, the bus driver basically in trying to protect him lost lost his life courage will cost you courage can cost you and that's why we hold back but we cannot live in the fear of what might or could happen to us if we're going to live out our lives in God's way overcoming fear and discouragement and really being God's people we need to let that courage rise up inside of us when we are discouraged we're hiding we're hanging out someplace in a, in a place in our being that is not where God wants us to be. I need to, Bob, one more thing, and then I need to wrap up. I know we're coming up on 1115. Steve, that mic's much louder. Can we use that one? One second. Wait till the mic comes to you, Bob. As that hymn says, let courage rise with danger and strength to strength oppose. Amen. I want to wrap up with just a thought for us today. There's much more I gave you on this sheet that I encourage you to peruse and to read, and there's scriptures associated with each one of those. Ephesians 6 wraps up this teaching about the armor of God, saying, and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. One of the things, not the only thing, but one of the things that has weakened our society, our culture, and our church, and not in that order, started with the church becoming weakened, is a departure from the Word of God. People don't have the moral compass. They don't have the framework. They can't defend themselves with truth because they don't know it. How many of you memorize scriptures as a child? How many, how many, probably most of the people in this room were taught to memorize certain scriptures. Thy word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you, David says. Knowing what the Bible says equips us that much better to be able to take our stand and to cut through the lies. I encourage you to continue committing Scripture to your heart and your memory. We're in Bible classes like this. We're hearing great sermons. But to get it down inside of you so that you know how to defend yourself spiritually. And I also want you to know God doesn't think of you as weaklings. I wouldn't be talking about this in the context I have today. I see you, each and every one of you, in Christ as victors. You are more than overcomers through Christ. You are the conquering force that God sees in this world as his hands and his feet and his voice and his arms to embrace. We have much opportunity and learning how to stand strong in the onslaught of moral filth and ethical decay and the rejection of Christianity and rejection of everything else, we simply need to say, so what? I am going to stand up and be the person God has made me to be. I want to encourage you, if you can, to stand with me as I wrap us up in prayer. If it's physically not capable, or I don't want you to do that. But I want you to have a posture in your mind. Where I'm asking you to physically stand. That you simply say, I'm tired of being pushed down. I've been yielding where I should be standing. I've been conceding defeat where I should be pressing on up the hill further. There's much opportunity for us, friends. And part of us standing strong is drawing that line in the sand and says, I'm not going to sit down idle any longer. I'm going to do what God put me on this earth to do and finish the race. As the apostles, Paul said, I have kept the faith. faith. I have finished the race. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your plans and purposes in our lives that we are the victors. We are following in that triumphal procession of Christ because of the victory he won. Lord, thank you that you stripped the enemy of his authority over us at the cross, disarming the powers of darkness and making a public display of them. And now we are under your authority We're under your influence. Lord, we pray that you'll enable and help us to properly prepare and equip ourselves to take our stand in our personal lives, take our stand in our families, take our stand in our church, take our stand in this culture, in this society that you have not given up on, that we are that light of the world and salt of the earth. And I pray, Lord, that you will empower us afresh by your Holy Spirit to equip ourselves to be strengthened in the Lord and then to take our stand for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you next week.